How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for L.A. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter, score! some swagger. Push come to shove, we're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hey everybody, welcome to another Thanks Bud podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. So, it's been a pretty positive week for the Kings, even though it ended with a loss. Even in that game, I think I was excited because the Kings had really good possession numbers. And even though that first period was really sloppy, they allowed three goals. They look good overall in that game. And they ended up sort of, especially in the third period, they came out really hard trying to tie. Um, and uh, there's a little bit, I guess, of score effects there because they were trying to tie. But in general, the Kings continue to be a team who is really, who performs really well in the third period. So I wasn't entirely shocked. And I was actually mostly excited just to see them return to what I'm used to from the Kings. Uh, yeah, with the win over the Panthers and the win over the Hurricanes, um, this loss doesn't sting as bad, especially like you said, because they did play pretty darn well. Um, yeah, I definitely could have done without the catching up for zero business, oh, but yeah. uh, in the end, it turned out all right, and you can't really fault them too much for this loss because they did play very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say it always bums me out to see Jonathan Quick's save percentage take a hit and. The Kings had 41 shots on goals, so like even though Lettinen let in four goals, his save percentage didn't suffer as much. He was like eight something, but like Jonathan Quicks was like seven something. So because he, the Kings had only allowed 23 shots, so it's sort of like a give and take of like, well, I'm glad they didn't have another game where they allowed 40 shots on goal, but <laughs> unfortunately, you let five goals in on 23 shots. That looks pretty bad. Even though I don't think really any of those goals were entirely his fault I think in general the Kings like a lot of them just came on bad defensive breakdowns in the middle of generally okay play that then Jonathan Quick wasn't able to bail them out on yeah I was like it's good that the Kings didn't let in those shots but then I know it always pains you to see uh Jonathan Quick's numbers uh go down and down (laughs) Yeah, although luckily it doesn't affect him too bad. I think heading into that game, he was 934 or maybe 938. And after that game, he's at 932 now, which is still among the league leader, league leaders. So as long as the Kings don't follow that up with games where they allow five or more goals anymore, <laughs> they could be okay. I don't know. That sounds like you're asking for a lot especially when they are on Tuesday facing Nashville, who recently pulled out that 9-2 game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I I just, I don't, I was afraid for a second that the Dallas game was going to turn into that because the Kings were down so much so early. But if it could also not happen on Tuesday, that would be great. I was actually extremely worried for that, uh, just because during, I mean, the same day, not at the same time, but like the Blackhawks beat the Oilers 7-1, and then there seems to be a lot of lopsided scores, Mm -hmm. mostly with the loser being um, Edmonton and the Toronto Maple Leafs, but still, it's kind of like fresh in everyone's mind, and I was like, oh no, don't let the Kings be um, another one on this list of teams that get completely blown apart. I don't need to see that happening, especially because, I mean... Not not to brag, because I guess it's always sort of a brag in itself, but being the defending champs, that is then <laughs> always how the other teams like talk about it when they win. Like, oh, we took down the champs kind of thing, which sucks to see. I don't, I don't like to see people take down the champs. I just want them to like murder everybody on the ice. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So at least don't let it be ridiculous blowouts. Yeah, that's finger... I don't think that's asking for too much. We didn't even say we want you to win. <laughs> we just said don't get completely blown out by the Nashville Predators. Yeah. Who are just surprisingly good. Themselves. What's yeah, happening? Yeah, they've been pretty good this season. They've been fun to watch because I think they've been a little more creative offensively. Like, they have that new coach, Peter Laviolette, and then they have guys like James Neal. Um, so, yeah, they've. it's not like they're a bottom feeder team, a team like Nashville or anything. And, like, even Dallas. Like, they're a pretty good team. Their record has been really rough so far, but... Overall, like they were a team heading into the season, everybody was like, wow, they've still got Sagan and Jamie Benn. Now they've got Spezza and Hemsky, and Hemsky's had some trouble getting going. So it's not like it's not like the, t- the Kings were playing a team that was bad 
that had the potential to blow them out. But it was still just like, oh, no, especially when like they had three power plays in I think three, maybe four, but I think three power plays in that first period and were not able to really even get very many shots on any of them. And it's really frustrating, be- frustrating because at home, they've been pretty darn good in uh, in power play goals, especially in that game with the Florida Panthers. So right. going from seeing it, you know, we can see that it can be very effective um, to for them to, like, not get – they were just so all over the place. They could not get a shot to save their lives. Um, to see it not work out at all was really unfortunate. And I think part of it was, like like I said, they're very good at home. They are terrible on the road this season. They have won mm-hmm. a single game. And I think they also have, like, one power play goal in – was it 30, like 37, I think, heading into the game or something like that? So it might be up to 40, like 1 in 40 now. Um, I should actually, let me see if I can look that up really quick. Either way, the number's bad, but I just want to make sure we know exactly how many chances <laughs> we don't want to give them. Had. We don't want to give them, uh, like, too good of a number, like, right. shoot it or say that they're more terrible than they are. So, yeah. Okay, so road... Well, actually, this seems like it says it is not so bad. I thought it was a worse number. This is 26. They've had 26 road power play opportunities. All right. Not I terrible, then. Correct. Yeah. And I say I say not terrible because we thought that it was 37. It's still terrible. Yeah, it's still not really, it's still not good. But And then part of that, of course, is for a while, they hadn't played nearly as many road games as other teams. And so now they're kind of catching up. They have eight road games um, and 26 power play opportunities. And they have only scored two power play goals. So real bad in comparison to at home where they've had 45 opportunities and 11 power play goals in 13 games. That's almost a power play goal per game at home. So that's pretty damn good. And so the 24% at home is at a disgusting 7.7% on the road. <laughs> they need to figure that out. They really do. Um, but yeah, like you said, they've been at home for the most part. So I can see why they might not have had time to kind of like figure that out. I'm always, I get why it happens, but I'm always confused as to why teams are so much better on the road as compared to at, like at home. Uh, just, like, mm-hmm. the differences between, like, the rink energy or, like, the boards or, you know, whatever, like, the having to travel. I always find that fascinating. So hopefully they'll kind of figure out their, their road power play situation. Yeah. An interesting thing about the power play that seemed to start helping them in that um, recent run on the road or on the road at home where they were getting more goals is that Daryl Sutter called out players like Andre Kobitar and Marion Gabrick for being on that top power play unit and not producing regularly enough. So, and then I guess the second power play unit as well. And so what he started doing this, he's just rolling lines. And he was basically like, I'm going to keep doing this until we sort of, either the top guys produce more or they figure out who are actually their strongest players on the power play. So then you start seeing people like Kyle Clifford um, and Trevor Lewis getting more power play time. And the interesting thing is, like, I think that was a huge factor in having all of those defensemen gaining points in the game against the Panthers is that there were so many people who got to participate in special teams that guys just got more chances. And it was interesting. And that's how, like, Jamie McBain in, I think, what, six games he's played now, already has a point for this Kings team is because in that game, he was someone who got a lot of time because he saw special teams time. Yeah, so it gives a lot of opportunities to other players and kind of forces the top line players to like prove themselves to make sure that they work hard to try and get goals and things like that. Not that they don't usually, but, you know, puts a little bit more pressure on them um, Mm -hmm. to produce. But yeah, it's nice to see that other players are getting that special teams um, ice time and get like racking up points themselves. So that's kind of cool. I, I'll be very excited. I mean, I'm glad that the like the even strength, like possession numbers and stuff are coming together. So I think the next step is hopefully them figuring out, um, especially on the road, obviously those power play situations and then individual players bring their game up. Tanner Pearson, someone who was very recently, very close to healthy scratch town, but then after being sort of called out by Daryl Sutter, turned it on, it seems like, a little bit. Got himself two goals in, you know, consecutive games. So good job. Maybe he won't actually sit out after all. He's now a goal-scoring leader again, in fact. Um, I love when Daryl Sutter threatens, like, healthy scratching. Because, like, uh, Tanner Pearson definitely seems like someone. And not that, once again, not that players won't try to respond to that. But I feel like he would try even more so to be like, I deserve to be on this team. I deserve to be here. Um 
and after his super hot start in October and then the kind of like drought that he's had in the first couple of weeks of November, it's nice to see him kind of, you know, heat up again. And yeah, I want him to take the rookie lead from Philip Forsberg. He's like, that's annoying to me. <laughs> oh my God. Philip Forsberg, I'm like, are you ever going to slow down, dude? Like, I know eventually it has to happen because it happens to everybody, but goodness gracious, he has been off to a crazy start. And I'm like, you're a defenseman. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he wasn't drafted by Nashville, which I thought, like, if you're the team that drafted him and then traded him, you have to be feeling pretty rough right now. Let's see. What team was it that drafted him? It was the Capitals? No. Yes, it was the Capitals. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I thought. So the Capitals drafted him in 2012. And so, yeah, if you're them right now. I mean, not that they have been doing terribly so far this season, but good defensemen are so tough to come by right now it seems like or consistently good defensemen and this guy seems to be having a lot of success and seems to have a lot of potential so you know that they probably wish they had philip forsberg in their lineup (laughs) oh it's one of those things where um like I never really follow this, but I know that other people do. It's like, oh, you know, the Kings traded this pick for, you know, this player, and that pick ended up being, you know, some great star player. I can't believe that they traded him away. Like, I know a lot of people like to do that, and it's always kind of like, oh, God, like, we got some marginal player when, in like, in retrospect, we could have had this, like, amazing goal scorer. Um, I feel like that's where the Capitals are, just, like, watching, sadly, while Philip Forsberg tears it up. And, I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, I'm kind of like, damn, I wish Philip Forsberg was on the Kings right now, but he's not. But he is tearing it up for the Predators at the moment. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how much the Preds hang on if someone like him stops producing as much. They've been They've been performing really well, and, like, early on they had really, like, good performance from James Neal. So I wonder I wonder if some of those players cool down if their system is stable enough yet that they can continue to produce that way. I mean, Laviolette is a pretty good coach, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I do wonder. Yeah, because I don't think anyone expected for the Preds to do as well as they're doing now. So it'll be interesting to see if that's just a fun thing that's happening in the beginning of the season that will essentially be meaningless later, or if they'll continue to be and stay hot in that line of, like, Neil and Ribeiro and someone else uh, doing well. Um, and, like, get them into the playoffs? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, they're second in the Western Conference now, so that is, I think that's a place that they would like to stay if they can. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can make it back to the playoffs. It could be kind of fun. Um, and we'll see how, like, the Kings stack up against them. The Kings, who, by the way, like, even though their defensemen are not performing with crazy point totals quite like Forsberg right now. They still have some pretty good guys. I think, namely, or at least for us, we've been waiting since the beginning, since before the season started, to see where ESPN's rankings would finally come out and where they would put Jake Muzzin. It has taken longer than it took last year because they released all of those lists before the season started last year. But they're out now. Jake Muzzin, no longer the 50th best defenseman out of 50. He is, in fact, 27th. So... Big deal. Big jump for Jake Buzzin. Yeah, he jumped like half the list. Um, And I believe we kind of guessed, we didn't guess an exact number, but somewhere between 25 and 30. And guess what? We were right. Yeah. Just like, I don't know if we, I I, maybe we did point out on the podcast where we predicted when Trevor Lewis would score this season. Oh yeah, we did do that. Yeah, like you, was it you said third game and then... Um, it would be a while and he would score again. And I said he would score around like the 15th game. I think because of his injury, it ended up working out in a way where we were both right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was it was technically his like third-ish game playing, but it was like the King's 15th game. And we never really, you know, yeah. defined exactly what we meant by how many games in. So um, kudos to us for being extremely right um, in like any any situation there. Yeah. We really just have nailed it so much so far. <laughs> We're really anyway. good at figuring that out. But uh, yeah, it's really nice to see Jake Muzzin climb that much because uh, it shows that people are paying attention to what's going on in the Western Conference, especially after people realized he is pretty darn good at Corsi or with Corsi, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, in a way that I don't think even Kings fans expected Um, Now we do. Like, now we anticipate him to continue to be someone who really drives play that way. But 
at the time, like, I remember everybody was kind of like, what? Jake Muzzin, 50th, 50th best? And then it was like, wait a second, Jake Muzzin, like, best Corsi defenseman in the league. Um, of course, there are, like, higher expectations now, especially playing a key role in the team that won the cup last season. And I hope that he maintains what he sort of the reputation that he's starting to build for himself. And so far out the gate, he, he's doing really well. Like he might not have 22 points like someone like Philip Forsberg has, but he has picked up 10 points in the last eight games. Jake Muzzin out of nowhere, suddenly producing all the time. So yeah, he's definitely on fire. And uh, I think everyone knows that before we were um, very wary of Jake Muzzin's play sometimes as our hashtag damn it Muzzin came into play quite a bit. But nowadays we are very, I mean, he seems super confident in his ability and that shows because now we're extremely confident in his ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, so every time the puck goes to, him, goes to him, instead of feeling trepidation, we're like, okay, he'll probably do something with this. He'll keep it in. He'll make a play you know, pass it to someone, goals, assists, so on and so forth. And it's very heartening to see him develop that way and be this, like, the second best defenseman on the Kings. Yeah, and I think that is legitimately what you can call him, the second best defenseman on the Kings. I think he's earned that at this point. And even when he makes mistakes, I expect him to make up for them in some way that's really significant. So, and right now, a thing to note, too, is, like, of those 10 points, nine are assists and only one is a goal. So his shooting percentage is still pretty low. So I think we could also sort of anticipate that at some point he might score a few more goals as well. And that means we have plenty to look forward to from Jake Muzzin in, in point production. And that is an exciting place to be. Um, and of course, the number one defenseman for the Kings, according to a lot of people, and also this ESPN ranking, Drew Doughty, he came in second after Shea Weber, which is a amazing just in that ranking, like to be number two in the league, especially with like expectations for this season. And I don't think wrongly earned like he had really good olympics and he was a key part even though like he went into the postseason last season with a shoulder problem he ended up being such an important player for the kings in that playoff run um but it is interesting to see him behind shea weber because i don't i don't know if you were like picking best defensemen necessarily like over their careers if people would put shea weber up on the same pedestal as drew dowdy yeah, but I mean, like like you said, it's pretty amazing that he got number two regardless, but I suppose I don't really watch enough of Shea Weber to know or, like, complain about him being better or worse than Drew Doughty. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I can only assume by his reputation, the plays that he makes, like, I assume he's still, you know, really darn fantastic, but I definitely don't watch him enough to be like, oh, this is garbage, how is Drew Doughty second? I'm fine with it either way. I think his point totals boosted him a little bit because, uh, and it's impressive, like I don't want to like undersell this because it's it's very hard to be a 20 goal scorer in this league. And Shea Weber, as a defenseman, scored 23 goals last season. So great job by that guy. And I, and I guess, you know, in, in that way, it's not hard to see why people expect a lot out of him for this season as far as, far as like being a number one defenseman for that team, and then also contributing a lot offensively, apparently. And he already has, I think, six goals? Yeah, six goals so far in 20 games, with which basically puts him at the shooting percentage, like just under the shooting percentage he had last season, which is high. Like, it was his highest at 11.8, and right now he's at 11.5, but still extremely impressive. Um, and even in the past few games, in the past couple of weeks, I know uh, we kind of touch touch like base on our thoughts every week or so about what we think about Braden McNabb, but he's definitely improved uh, since I'm not so wary about him uh, handling the puck or anything like that. I still have questions about McBain, but uh, McNabb, just even in the few games since we've last recorded or so, has been uh, markedly better. I think, yeah, he has a lot of potential. I'm really excited to see him continue to develop as well. Yeah, I agree. I I watch him now and I'm like, all right, all right, it's trending in the right direction. Let's keep it up. I think, um, let's, I guess, skip ahead for a second because we might as well talk about that a little bit, um, is that with Slava Voinov being out, he was finally actually charged this week. Um, There was a statement from the district attorney and he has been charged with a felony. The lawyer for Slava Voinov's wife um, released a statement from her and it says, 
Marta was stunned by the news today and she is devastated. She did not believe and does not believe that her husband intended to injure her and she believes that he is not guilty of any crime. She is worried about her family's privacy and concerned that she and her family are going to be subjected to ridicule, embarrassment, and hatred because of this decision. In fact, she has already seen that beginning to happen. It is unfortunate that no one seemed to care what she wants and that the authorities gave little or no weight to her view of the facts of the case. Despite this unwelcome news, she still expects her husband to be cleared of any criminal wrongdoing. So that's a statement given by um, uh, Marta's lawyer um, about the case. Yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast before, but eventually, like a, a week or so after this first happened, she was she did say they did get married over the summer and she was fine with being identified as his wife. So that's why her name is out there now. Um, I It'll... I'm not really sure how, what this will look like as it progresses, but I think something of note is that in California, if you are convicted of, or if Slava Voinov specifically is convicted of felony domestic violence, it is grounds for deportation. So I can see how this is difficult for them as a family. And I mean, even like including what she's saying in her statement in that, like it could be you know, a, a tough for them if they have to go back to Russia, where, of course, it's less, even less likely that anything will happen to help her. Um, right now, the Kings are still paying Slava Voinov, f- probably for legal reasons, so that they don't, so that the Kings or the NHL don't get sued if he is eventually cleared of all charges. But um, Katerin, who was Bold Matter on Twitter, we shared some a collection of what she said about how that could be pretty useful for um, victims, not just now, if Marta ever decides to say something different from what she has, but victims in general. And also, at first, when the charges were filed, the NHL was like, look, we'll look at it. And we right now, we don't think we'll change the status of the um, suspension. And that means not giving the Kings any cap relief. But later in the week, they actually did allow the Kings to get some cap relief operating the same way that um, players who are put on long-term injured reserve are handled. So there's that. But I would say to speak to tie this back to the other defensemen, what the Kings said after that relief was granted is that they have no immediate plans to use that relief, which I think speaks to the club's own confidence in, in how how they're able to operate even without Voinov, which I think overall is is positive because it's not like because then I think it also is hopefully grounds for the Kings to be like, all right, let's handle him the right way, which means letting him take the time he needs to get counseling and educate his family and also the other players' families instead of being like, well, we're fucking sucking, so it doesn't matter what he did bring him back right now, if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, and also what kind of bums me out about his wife's statement is that she said that she's afraid that she's going to be subjected to ridicule, embarrassment, and hatred, and that it's already happening, and that is extremely unfortunate because I've seen glimpses. I like, I try to shelter myself from that part of the internet or the people who would say things like that, but obviously you can't escape it. Um, and I have seen kind of like, just like the horrible things that people have said about her, uh, just because of how it affects, you know, Slava Voinov, his career, the Kings and so on and so forth. And that's really extremely unfortunate that people, um, one have those views and feel the need to express them publicly. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to see her targeted in any way, and it sucks that it's already happening to her specifically. Um, also, I, I f- just remember this. D. Lombardi has been pretty good overall in how he's spoken about this, except for he said something pretty wretched the other day. Um, in it was in an L.A. Times article where basically, and this was before the cap relief came, where he was like you know, I'm beyond caring about cap relief or anything like that. I'm worried about how this will affect Voinov's career, which it shouldn't be about that, actually. So it was really disappointing to see him say that. Yeah, because before, like, as always, the, the, any, like, worry should be put on the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've said in the prior podcast that we did about this, like, who cares about Voinov's career if he actually did this? You know what I mean? Right. So. Um, it's it's a bummer to hear that said by Dean Lombardi, who we obviously very much um, adore. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of disheartening to hear. Yeah, I hope that 
I mean, I have no idea if anybody's spoken to him uh, since then, but I would hope that somebody talked to him and was like, are you, this shouldn't actually be what the focus is. Because even if, I think my thing too is like, again, if he did this and statistically it's very likely that he did, obviously the hospital and the police all think it was, there was enough to charge him with a felony account. So it's likely that he did do this. He brought it on himself. So why should I care about how it affects his career? He should have been smarter. He should have been the kind of person who doesn't do things like this. So I think to be like, I'm worried about how it'll affect his career, that I, that doesn't matter to me. What I want, what I worry about is that he will be the kind of person that continues to perpetuate this type of violence. That's what matters. And I don't want him to be. That's where I'm concerned with Lislava Voinov. So yeah, I think I, I expected better from D. Lombardi and it sucks that he he let me down or let everyone down um, in that moment. And I hope that he learns better from now on. But anyway, back to talking about the King's game. Um, so let's talk about good things. <laughs> yes. So one, uh, one good thing about King's, I guess not well, sort of management is that in these same ESPN rankings, Daryl Sutter, number one. Yeah. Coach in the NHL. Yes. Um, he's always been our number one. He's a lot of journalists, number one, um, just for interviews alone. But um, in actual coaching skill, uh, this panel ranked him number one, and he just ekes out um, Joel Quenville and Mike Babcock. So that's pretty darn impressive. I think it's also worth noting that last week on the podcast, we were kind of giving Wayne Gretzky a little bit of shit about saying that Andre Kopitar was the third best player in the NHL. In that same interview, he said that he thinks as well that Daryl Sutter is the best coach. And I think for a lot of people, obviously what that stems from is two Stanley Cups in the last three seasons. And then of course, between those two cups, a trip to the Western Conference final, where a lot of people thought that the Kings had a legitimate chance to do much better in that um, conference final series and they did had they not been injured. So I can't really argue with that. Like, yeah, he's done a great job the last few seasons. And so that means there are probably a lot of expectations for him heading into this season. And it's pretty excited to, it's exciting to see people notice that because I don't think the Daryl Sutter, because the Kings have been so dominant as a team, will ever get like nominated for like Jack Adams or anything. So at least people notice. That's good. I mean, people notice him. How can you not notice him? True, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it's good to no- see that his his coaching skills are being appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of him with the quotes, which is what people most notice him for, there was a good one from the Dallas game about the earthquakes that the the John Rose and the Kings insider posted, where someone like asked if they felt it or whatever, and he was like, "Yeah, there were a lot of earthquakes in the first period," referring to the big hits. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on jokes on jokes with Daryl Sutter. <laughs> He's got them for days. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty good. I'm really excited for him. Also, the Kings, well represented. The They ranked top the top 100 forwards in the NHL for this season. And Kings all over the place. The Kings, like, entire top six, actually. With maybe the, the only person missing is Tanner Pearson. Wasn't on this list that I saw. But Andre Kopitar is eighth. Jeff Carter, 23rd, Marion Gabrick, 40th, Justin Williams, 56th, Tyler Toffoli, 63rd, which I thought was interesting because he's right behind someone like James Neal, um, and higher than the person that I wrote a post about him having a, a little bit of a childhood, not really competitive rivalry maybe with, um, Jeff Skinner, who was at 70, I believe, and Dustin Brown was at 68th. So, good job, Kings forward top six. Well done. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That makes me pretty happy, actually, <laughs> of 30 teams in the NHL and how many forwards that is. To see uh, six players in that top 100 mm-hmm. is pretty darn swell. And Tanner Pearson, Tanner Pearson's a rookie, so, I mean, I'll give that right. to them for him not being there. Um, he had a flash in the pan, kind of like great month, and then kind of, you know, fizzled away, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, so I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one, but everyone else, well warranted, and I'm very impressed. Good job, Kings team. Like, obviously yeah. this is some, like, arbitrary thing that, uh, ESPN ranks, but it still makes me feel extremely happy. For me, it's more like, it's good to see people actually paying closer attention to what's happening 
in the Western Conference, especially on the West Coast, because I feel like even though people have gotten to the point where the California teams are sort of acknowledged as being really tough for teams to play against, they still don't get very many accolades. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm not a Ducks fan, but it's still insane to me that someone like Corey Perry doesn't get more press than he does because he's right up there with the top goal scorers that people talk about all the time, like Patrick Kane, like Phil Kessel, um, like even in Dallas now, like Jamie Benn is getting crazy, crazy um, acknowledgement now. And I mean, technically they are in the Western Conference, but they're not as far West, of course, as the West Coast teams. So I think it's just good to see that, oh, okay, people are staying up a little later and they're noticing now. So, of course, the last thing that ESPN ranks was the top 25 goaltenders, and Jonathan Quick came in fourth after Tuka Rask, Heinrich Lundqvist, and Carey Price. And actually, I have a question for you, which is that, why do you think Carey Price is so highly rated lately? I feel like people have talked about him so much, and I'm not really sure why. Well, he did do very well in the playoffs last season, and I mean, he got injured, which is why Tukarski came in, Um, but I think that's fresh in people's mind, and it's not to say that he's a bad goalie by any means. He's pretty darn good. Um, Also, he plays in the East for a Canadian team. (laughs) True. So I'm going to say that that's another reason. Yeah. that Actually, that makes sense, especially the Canadian thing, because I had not thought about that. East Coast Canadian, Eastern Conference Canadian, Canadian team. Because yeah, I think he, I think he obviously, and then he did really well, like in the Olympics, and but at the same time, like as a goaltender, just based on his numbers and stuff, I don't know if he needs to be in the top three right now. Someone who I think actually is super, super underrated this year and has done really well so far is Pecorine. Like I think people kind of forgot about him because he was out so much of last season, but that dude's numbers over the last four seasons and so far this season have been great. I wanted to see how great like Carey Price is. And of course, also look at where Jonathan Quick fell in comparison to that. Something of note for both Quick and Carey Price is that looking at their even strength, like five five on five, even strength save percentage from the 2010 season to now is exactly the same. Like Quick has played more games, but they're both at like 92, 93%, um, 92.69 to be specific. And that's great. However, there are goaltenders who have done a lot better, including Pecorine, who is at uh, 9-2-9. Um, Corey Schneider has also played games, a similar amount of games to Rask, actually, like a little less. Rask has played 196 since then. Schneider has played 163. But someone else who is like a goalie to watch. So it's just sort of interesting to me that like of all of these people who are not who haven't been in the press as much as someone like Jonathan Quick or Tukarask or Lundqvist, um, that the one that they seem to be latching onto now to push into that spotlight is Carey Price, because I think there might actually be better people to look at. My vote would be he's, for Pecorino. He was fifth last year and he's eighth this year. Um, but I mean, considering he, I, I do agree that I think he kind of fell ever, off of everyone's radar, like out of everyone's mind because he got injured. Um, but with as as good as the Nashville Predators have been doing this year, and if he makes some like amazing saves, keeps the minute, um, I think people will be reminded again. Oh yeah, he was pretty effing good. Like in rankings, uh, like a couple seasons ago, um, he was like ranked number two, you know, or like two or three or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so now that he's healthy again and behind a apparently better Nashville team. Um, he might get those accolades back and start climbing up the ranks again. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm very excited to see what he does, because I think he's also a pretty fun goaltender to watch. Also, he's huge, which I always forget. He is so big. That's <laughs> He fills up that entire damn goal. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Because, like, he'll... St- He'll stand up, like, obviously the goalies are all, like, crouching in their goal. Then he'll stand up next to the goal, and, like, the top of the goal post is at his, like, waist. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that dude is gigantic. So tall. Yeah, and, like, right now, um, the in the goaltending leaders, I don't know how many games Michael Hutchison has played, but he's number one, and then it's Craig Anderson, and then it's Quick with 9.32, and then Rene right under him with um, 9.30 so far this season, and then Corey Crawford right after that, 9.28. Corey Crawford is someone who has gotten more recognition lately, but I think he had like a really bad, what was it, 11-12 season, and people still have not really forgiven him for that, even though he's been he's been okay since then. <laughs> he's Yeah, he's been fine, but um, I guess 
fans and the NHL has lar- at large has been um, slighted by <laughs> Corey Crawford's terrible play and have they've not forgiven him right. yet. Which is, which is um, unfortunate and kind of astounding how, like, because on the flip side, like, Jonathan Quick had a great 2011-12, as everybody knows, and that has gotten him a pass for, like, the previous two seasons of being um, average or below average in the case of the shortened season. So... But so it's just kind of funny, like how, like what, at what point a narrative sticks on a player. <laughs> and let's give him some props for this season because he has been phenomenal when the Kings have, you know, been walking around on like little full legs and trying to like figure out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been pretty, pretty reliable for the Kings. I think it's been so fun to just watch his reads be a lot sharper so far this season. I mean, there have been some goals where. I mean, one of our favorite things, of course, is always to see which goals that Jim Fox reacts to very genuinely with like a, oh, (laughs) and I feel like there have been a lot of them where he's just so impressed, but like, I can't believe that like Quick anticipated that. That's great. (laughs) Um, That's fun. I think, I think Jim Fox has really loosened up as to how many goals or things he reacts to. Oh, yeah. Like, First of all, I know he didn't do it uh, nationally, so it didn't really matter, but like the, the Alec Martinez um, overtime Stanley Cup winning goal, yeah. him just going insane <laughs> over it, or um, or just like any other myriad of goals that happens throughout the season. If I'm listening to, if I'm watching it on TV and I'm listening to Bob and Jim, uh, Jim now just like, I he's not, <laughs> he just, he keeps reacting. He's not being subtle about it. He's not trying to be... Um, obviously, uh, he's, you know, biased, but he's not trying to rein it in at all. He's just like, whoa, yes, yeah. And, uh, and Bob Miller has gotten extremely sassy. So I don't know. I feel like they're the golden girls up there just kind of like doing whatever they want. It sounds, whatever they want. It sounds like they've both got a glass of his like patina cellars, like wine and then they're just having a good time it's fine i i mean the thing that makes it okay for me too is that they still seem to pee they still seem to be really enthusiastic when other teams do something really well as well like that save that carly letton had in that shutout game at staples center like they were they were appropriately impressed by that save like the rest of us so i i like i like the enthusiast enthusiasm from jim fox it's nice I do too, and and he absolutely will call out Kings players and the Kings team for being, you know, absolutely crummy. Yeah. So it's not like they only, it's not like the Ducks feed, you know, where it's like, oh, that wasn't the Ducks' fault when you, like, are, you're watching uh, someone use their stick like it's an axe. Um, So he still calls everyone out. He just does it with a level of boyish enthusiasm that I very much enjoy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I will say that it is just as fun, or at least as entertaining, when the Kings are playing poorly and they're just, like, both so disappointed. (laughs) Why are you doing this? They gotta do better. (laughs) Uh, You're disappointing your uh, drunk uncles. Yeah, how dare you let down Jim Fox this way? (laughs) How dare you? It's real. It's really unfortunate because we've sat above their, uh, like where they record and things like that, um, and we have not seen them drink wine. So that's un- unfortunately not true. Right. But yeah. I want it to be true. They're just naturally that way, which might actually be kind of better in a way. <laughs> yeah, most likely, it's definitely better. I mean, I guess with all of this recognition, then that the Kings players are getting, and how well that someone like Jonathan Quick is playing. And even, again, like, even someone like, like, it's kind of amazing that Jeff Carter was rated 23rd because Jeff Carter has been so good. And um, I think even him, his recognition his recognition from the league is a little belated. And I think it's, again, similar maybe to, like, Carey Price is because people saw him do really well in the Olympics that they're like, oh, yeah, this guy is consistently good. Um, but with all of that, one thing that we talked about, I think, at least a little bit last season on the podcast was the idea of, like, having a face of the franchise for this team. Um, and we both sort of randomly got tagged in this marketing, like, conference a few days ago, and but ended up seeing some really interesting tweets about the King's digital operation. Which we then, by the way, had our own little, like, fandom, like, tweet watching. And that <laughs> yeah. we, you and I were watching this random um, marketing conference or, like, watching it update. So that was a really strange evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, so among the things that we saw was a tweet from an account named Aim Clear. And it says, up until a year ago, by the way, just before I actually read this, I want to say that the reason why all of these tweets were happening, we realized as we started to investigate, is that... Um, 
Pat Donahue was participating in this conference. So a lot of this information, I assume, came from him talking about it. But one of those things, this tweet says, up until a year ago, the Kings weren't allowed to put a single player on a billboard. They had to ha- they had to have at least four, which I thought was pretty interesting because I remember at the time us trying to come up with faces of the franchise, like we couldn't single out any one player. I think our guess ended up being Dustin Brown, Andre Kopitar, and Jonathan Quick as a collective. Um, it's pretty interesting that before last year, they would have had to have a fourth person. And I assume that would have probably been like Drew Doughty. Yeah, most likely. But do you think that is, I guess, changed at all? I mean, because even now, like the We Are All Kings billboards tend to have two players. Do you think, are there, like in the year, now that they've had more success, do you think there are any players who stick out maybe more as a face of the Kings franchise? I really don't. I think it even solidifies even more because as they've uh, won this championship, you know, obviously they're being interviewed more. Everyone wants to know, how did you guys win? Like, you know, what was key? And especially with the We Are All Kings thing, um, especially that one with Dustin Brown and Alec Martinez, just them kind of reiterating, you know, every time, like, if you've been on a winning team, you know how, like, close and tight-knit that team is going to be. And, you know, everyone always says that, this is the closest team that, like, they've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, like, truly and genuinely cares for one another. And so once – so, like, if the players are kind of, like, in that mindset of, like, it's a it's a team thing. Like, they're all, you know, just in it together and not trying to be, like, the superstar, whether, you know, intentionally or not. I don't really think that anyone kind of shines through as, like, this is, this is the king's guy. Like, even, even when – Players are doing really well, and usually, you know, if it's a star, it's, like, crazy defensive plays or oftentimes, like, just an obscene amount of goals. Like, even when certain players are on a tear, it doesn't make them the face of the franchise. Like, during that shortened season, Jeff Carter had an obscene number of goals, but it was never, like, I never once thought, like, oh, he's the face of the franchise now. It's just, he did that in support of his team like I think everything that everyone does is in support of the team and it kind of shows so I never think about anyone being like a singular face of the franchise yeah I think and that that shortened season and a player like Jeff Carter is a good example I feel like during that shortened season everybody there was this Jeff Carter craze you know because it was the first season that people really got to see him it wasn't a full season obviously but it was the first semi-full season that people got to see of Jeff Carter as a Kings player but Again, it's hard to imagine, even with sort of King's fandom blowing up, being excited about a player like Carter, them ever putting him up ahead of someone like Andre Kopitar, you know? And Andre Kopitar, even right. though he's the King's number one player, he's not a player that ever seems to want or even get superstar type of treatment. So yeah, it's it's very hard to imagine just one person sort of sticking out and being like, this is the player that represents the Kings. I think Jonathan Quick is maybe the closest in terms of NHL recognition. But now with the Kings having a second cup, um, that is not really necessarily true anymore either. Yeah. And, and going back to the, the Jeff Carter thing as well, like, and then the following season with him, like getting a hat trick during the Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of a lot of things that for another player may just have solidified their kind of superstar status or elevated them to being like, oh, well, you know, obviously they're doing extremely well. They're kind of, um, you know, the face of the franchise there. It still didn't really affect anything. Yeah, which is amazing. I think actually Drew Doughty got more recognition for the Olympics because of oh, his play. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even yeah, still, I mean, like, he's got a lot of press right now. But even still, like I mentioned earlier, like, Jamie Benn is everybody's favorite thing to talk about now as sort of a breakout player. And it's because he scored, you know, well, he had a great season, but also then he scored the one goal in the Canada-US game. And so it's interesting to see, like, how that can really work for some guys. But for the Kings, I think in terms of branding and like marketing and whatnot and and the way that the team likes to represent themselves it is still very much like we are a group and if we're gonna stand out it's gonna be together um because even like alec martinez scores the cup winning goal and the series winning goal for the western conference final and he's gotten some recognition too but now it's like oh now he's part of this group of players that sort of represents the kings rather than oh now he's the superstar that they push all the time because he had these iconic moments i don't know it's fascinating um, I think that's kind of it on what's going on with the Kings right now. Yeah. They're going on this road trip. We're hoping that they win a thing. Finally. I want them um, to not have the worst road record anymore. <laughs> Please. 
I, I we're like chanting for them to be mediocre. They don't have to win every road ga- game, but like just don't be the worst. Yeah, just don't go one forty one on the season, please. Oh God, Ugh, that would be awful. <laughs> Um, I, I, I saw somewhere and now I don't remember exactly where that even now with the record that they have, they're like on pace. I think this was prior to the Dallas game, so it might be different now, but they were on pace for a 106 point season, which was top what they did last season. So it is always as usual, fascinating to see that this team can be so ridiculously extreme. And then still at the end of the day, you look at it overall and it's like, they're probably still one of the best teams in the league. So you can't get too mad. And that's kind of how I feel about this week. No, they weren't perfect, but I feel pretty good. It's kind of funny because, like you said, 106 points. I'm like, nah, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure we're due for some uh, another like eight game losing <laughs> come come February or so. True, but maybe they'll surprise us. Who knows? I want them to go on an eight game winning streak. Actually, so if they could do that, please, I would really like it. They seem to have a pretty like stretch of winning games at least once during a season. Yeah, absolutely. They definitely have a, a stretch of winning in quite a few games. So. They could do that again. That'd be nice. Yeah, and they've already gotten shut out four times, so maybe if we can cool Jesus. it on that. <laughs> Please, just score one goal so that you're not leading the league in shutouts. Yeah. Don't be, don't surpass Buffalo oh, yeah. in this metric. Please. True. Let Buffalo continue to be terrible. Uh, I think the thing to note, though, of course, is that in that 2011-12 season, they had, I think they had 11, no, 10 shutouts as a team. John the Quick had nine and Bernier had one. And then they had been shut out 11 times. Last season, they had six total times shut out. Five of them came during that, like, end of December through January losing streak period. That was horrible. So... If they pass them, they have four now. If they pass that six, I think it's just at least good to remember that they lost or they were shut out 11 times a few seasons ago and still it ended pretty well. So I don't want to see them get shut out a bunch, but maybe it'll be okay still, hopefully. The high, the highest of highs and the lowest of yeah. lows. That's the Los Angeles <laughs> You can never really actually have mediocrity unless we're talking about their possession numbers right now, which are just very, very slightly over 50%. (laughs) I'm just looking now and I guess the Buffalo Sabres have won three games in a row. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) So good for them, I suppose. Edmonton has lost four in a row. So, you know, that's at least normal. I bet the Sabres management, again, so frustrated because they're trying so hard to be the worst and Edmonton, who is not trying hard to be the worst, cannot seem to get out of Buffalo territory (laughs) please currently buffalo columbus and edmonton all have 14 points wow i'm kind of surprised about columbus they they seem like a team that me too pretty well yeah it's just like how i keep i guess we just keep seeing dallas highlights but they're always a part of like losing right yeah uh losing games so to see them like 23rd in the league Mm -hmm. uh is always like oh really um but i guess that's true yeah, I think it'll turn around, though. Randomly, because while I was looking up the stuff about goaltenders, something that I thought was interesting, when I was looking at um, on War on Ice, which is where I got all the information when I was talking about goaltenders before, they have it where you can look at what like the save percentage is when the team is within one, whether that's leading, trailing, or tied score situations, or score close situations, basically. And Bobrovsky is sixth. It goes, it goes Rask, Rene, Lundqvist, Luongo, Schneider, and Bobrovsky, which I thought was pretty cool. So he obviously hasn't played as many games as someone like even Pecorine or Lundqvist or Luongo, but promising dude. So I think, you know, if he, I don't know what his save percentage looks now, but if he's good and then Columbus can clean it up, I think they'll turn around. I don't think they'll be a bottom team all season. They seem like a team that's on the up swing. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Columbus and that this is also a Kings podcast, what about that news about a bankrupt Jack Johnson, Ugh. which is, we're not lovers of Jack Johnson here on this podcast, no. not at all, but it is very sad to see that he's filed for bankruptcy and a lot of it has, to, or a lot of the blame can be placed um, on his parents. Yeah. Uh, maybe he should have been more proactive and, you know, staying, <laughs> like, see, knowing what's going on with his finances, but... I mean, you're supposed to trust your parents. Right. You know, you would think that that would be okay. And to see them take loan after loan out, and it, that's just really, really sad. I think it speaks to, like, I think it's easy for people to forget how young these players are, a lot of them, when they get massive amounts of money. And in some of them, if they're drafted really high and get into the league when they're 18, money and also fame. And 
it's easy to forget that, you know, they might not be prepared for something like handling that massive amount of money or being very good at picking who they should let be in charge of it if they're like, look, I don't have the time nor the inclination to monitor this day to day myself. Let me make sure I hire a responsible person or entrust it to someone in my family who I feel is like really responsible. Maybe, you know, they're just it's easy, I think, to take advantage of even someone like Jack Johnson, who even though we're not big fans of him on the ice, seems to be a guy who had a, has a great reputation as a person. Um, and so it sucks to see someone like that taken advantage of. And I think, again, I still think it's crazy. Like I read last season that it wasn't until the new CBA that they had any sort of rookie program for helping these guys adjust even on the day-to-day stuff. And I think it's not necessarily the league's full responsibility to offer resources to players like this. Like, obviously, you want players to investigate things for themselves and hire who they want. But you would think the league that entrusts them with all of this money and franchises that entrust them with all of this money, um, or or not entrust them, but uh, pay them all of this money, um, would also be like, all right, here are some good resources that you at least might want to check out for managing it. Like, I, I just, it's just weird to me that they're sort of, here's a book, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, figure it out. Yeah, they ha- they sit through like social media, you know, seminars about what to say, what not to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they sit through all manner of meetings. Uh, so I w- I am baffled that there wouldn't be some sort of financial planning seminar. Like, you know, obviously they don't have to do exactly this, but here's a good idea and here's what goes wrong. And here is a list of people and athletes who've had tons of money and watched it just go away. Um, so... Yeah, that's uh, completely baffling to me because, like, I've had friends who couldn't deal with, like, a small inheritance and they're like, I don't know what to do and have gotten help with that. So I can only imagine. And that's like, you know, when they're in their mid 20s or something like that. And I can only imagine people at the age of, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever, just being like, here's tens of millions of dollars. Do what you will with it without any sort of like in this case, there should be handholding. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's also sort of interesting, I mean, because obviously of the major sports, the major four, NHL players make the least individually. So it's still interesting to see that despite that, there is sort of possibly that idea of like a culture of spending and not not on Jack Johnson's part, because in this piece by Aaron Portsline from the Columbus Dispatch, he says that Jack Johnson himself is actually pretty frugal, but on the like his parents who... Who knows, like, I don't want to speculate about their reasons for handling money like they did, but the fact that they bought um, or borrowed against money that he hadn't even yet earned yet, like the sort of the idea of like, oh, possibly, you know, we're rich now, so we should live in a mansion or something like that. So that idea of people getting sort of caught up in that culture of I am seen as being part of this certain type of lifestyle, let me live that way, even when like the dude didn't have millions of dollars yet. It's so crazy to me because... um I, I'm not particularly frugal, I suppose. I love spending money, but, you know, I am I save up as well. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the idea of frivolously spending like that without having any sort of, like, emergency fund or investing it in anything is just, like, horrifying to me. I'm like, God, if I had that kind of money, I know exactly what I would do, and it would not be that. Right, yeah. I, I mean, I'd buy myself a nice house, probably not the one worth $2 million if I didn't even quite have a million yet. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Also, like, why do I need a place with 13 rooms in it when I sit on my computer a lot? <laughs> you know, like, I am in my living room or my, like, room or my kitchen quite a bit. I don't know if I need 13 rooms in this, like, crazy mansion. <laughs> what for? Sometimes you just want to change your location. You have multiple computers and multiple rooms. You change your setting. They're all themed, probably, you know, and then a couple for other activities. Oh, my gosh. That's, this is totally uh, unrelated. I was reading some article where some crazy like oil like some king or oil baron or somebody in turkey um his house has a thousand rooms oh what What do you do with a thousand rooms (laughs) has he ever even seen all 1000 of those rooms that's a lot of places to try how long does it take to just go visit each room for like (laughs) 10 minutes You have to walk from one end to the property to the other, and it's like a couple miles. <laughs> I just imagine someone like segueing across or something <laughs> yeah. like that, just because it's like this is too much, right. or like wearing literal hiking gear, uh, just because it's like oh, this is too. Far. You know, you just walk the length of that there and back, and that's your exercise for the day. 
You never have to leave the house. God, that would be anyway. So yeah, that that life of excess is very enticing. It's very tempting, especially if everyone else um, is living that as well. But you kind of have to keep your keep your finances in check a little bit there. And so I hope that uh, everything goes well for Jack Johnson. I know that he's suing a few people for you know crazy interest rates and things like that. And um, I hope it goes well for him starting anew. And I hope. Uh, he is still in contact with his brother, who oh, was yeah. mentioned in the article, mm-hmm. who he's worried about still being with his parents. Um, so, yeah, I hope everything turns out well for Jack Johnson and he can kind of unf- – unfortunate that he has to go through this, but that he can start anew and be secure in, you know, what's going on uh, with his finances and in his life. Yeah. I-, I want his money to get in order so that we can all just go back to making fun of his head fake on the ice. That's what I want. Exactly. Now I feel bad about making fun of him because I'm like, he's going through things. <laughs> Never feel I bad. I want to make fun of him. Never feel bad about making fun of him on the ice because it's funny. But we just don't have to bring his finances into that. Um, all right. I think that's mostly what we have. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about Kings players? Oh, I know what I want to say really quick. Trevor Lewis, top line Trevor Lewis. It seems like the era has already ended, but for a few games, it was beautiful. I mean, yeah, during yesterday's game, Jim Fox kept mentioning about how Trevor Lewis was the bright spot um, during, like, a King's, the Kings struggling. So I'm like, Jim Fox, I feel you. Trevor Lewis is a bright spot. He is wonderful. <laughs> oh, bright spot Trevor Lewis. Um, exactly. He's getting a lot of love these days, even from, like, the Kings. He's been doing well. Yeah, yeah. He's been fun to watch as well. I think him and, him and Mike Richards have been kind of the same way in that they've been uh maybe not have been, they've haven't been producing as much as you know maybe we would like but in terms of just like plays and they've been working so hard for the kings yeah um and they've just been working really well kind of especially mike richards in like needing to redeem himself and maybe trevor lewis as well but uh kind of under the radar there they've been extremely good for the kings Yeah, it's been really exciting to watch. Trevor Lewis has three goals already on the season, and I just want to remind everyone that it took way more games for that to happen last season, and also that his career high is six goals. So actually, let me, let me really quick, I want to see now what he's on pace for. Let's see if he could top himself. And I'd like to remind everyone that at the beginning of the season, uh, I, I think I said he would do it in fewer games, but I at least said he would make it into the double digits by the end of this season. Oh, and I'm really hoping that he proves me right. All you have to do is 10. Okay. That's it. So just, just six more goals. Yeah. So he has three goals in 12 games. Let's remember that, that he was out for a few games. So in three goals in 12 games, he is on pace for 20 to 21 goals. 20.5 in particular. So 20 or 21 goals. So... Trevor Lewis with his... You should see, you should see the face I'm making <laughs> right now. What a world if Trevor Lewis scores 20 goals this season. I would love for Trevor Lewis to have a 20-goal season. I don't think it'll happen, but it could be pretty fun. I'm asking for 10. Yeah. He just needs seven more. I said six before because I'm terrible at math, but <laughs> I meant seven. Look, Dwight King had, what, like 11 or whatever it was last season, or a little more than 11? I don't know. He, he did pretty well. I think Trevor Lewis can have a breakout season um, where he scores... 10 goals. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I like kind of want to fast forward to the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just so that I can see what's going that's on. That's what I'm thinking about so far. Any other thoughts from you before we get out of here? Um, I do want to say one thing in my condolences to kind of the entire Penguins organization. Because um, Pascal Dupuis is out for a oh, while yeah. with uh, his blood clot. And um, I think it's stemming from he was on blood thinners uh, last year when he had surgery for his back or something like that. And so now kind of complications from that. And he's got a blood clot that is putting him out for an extended period of time. And then with Olimata being out because of like the cancerous tumor that he had. And like last year, Vokun had a blood clot. Latang had a stroke. Like, man, injuries are always bad no matter what. Um, like you never want to see a guy go out, but like with the penguins, it's all just like health scares that are really like, it's one thing to be out with like a broken leg or something like that. But, um, to see like these sort of health injuries and like Pecorino was out with like a weird blood clot in his hip or something like that. Was it an infection or he had an infection of something? Um, so yeah, I mean, 
thoughts to the Penguins organization because they're going through some tough times right now. Yeah, for sure. And of course, this comes after like the couple seasons where Sidney Crosby was dealing with like serious head injury and concussion issues. So they, yeah, they have faced like some very intense type of health problems. So I hope that Pascal Dupuis... I think right now the estimate was like at least six months. So I hope if he's not able to play this season, um, that he finally gets to come back and stay next season. Speedy recovery for him. Yeah. Well, that is all we have. Um, it's been a pretty good week. I'm, I'm feeling good for for the Kings, and hopefully they win some more road games. I think it's possible they ended up playing pretty well against Dallas. Seems positive. As long as Tuesday's score against Nashville is not 9-2 or anything as horrifying as that, I'll feel pretty good. <laughs> I mean, Robin Regeer scored a goal this week, so I mean. Yeah. And Trevor things Lewis. Are good. So this is a big week for and you. And Lewis. <laughs> it's, I'm real happy. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Take care of yourselves, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, goodbye, friends. Bye, everyone.